This is Sharing the Victory, 104.5 FM, 1440 AM, WHAR, on this Sunday morning. A program sponsored by the WVU Chapter of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And we encourage you to go to the website, WVUFCA.org, to learn more about the FCA and even uh, contribute financially if you are led to do that. With us, as usual, Kirby Myers, Campus Director, WVU FCA, good morning. Good Thanks morning, for Kyle. coming in. Thank you. Countdown to the pit game. You're going to learn all about that. You probably have. The backyard brawl. I've seen T-shirts at Dick's Sporting Goods. This is a big deal, isn't it? Yeah, it's a huge deal. And it hasn't happened in a long time. So people are, are fired up. The players are learning. There's a few players, believe it or not, on this team that have played pit. Uh, Lee Coba played at Syracuse, okay. played pit. Yeah. Uh, Doug Nestor played at Virginia, Virginia Tech, Tech, played pit. Yeah. So there's a couple of guys that have played pit, but it's nothing like. Uh, what we're preparing for here in a couple of weeks. More importantly, you have access to the WVU football team and the other sports teams on campus to share the gospel. Yeah, absolutely. Very thankful for that and uh, been able to do a lot of things with the football team this fall. And again, so thankful to Coach Brown and the staff for the access. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that you've been doing, of course, the, the weekly huddle sessions will begin very soon which will include all the athletes but you've been meeting with uh members of the football team of course you invite them no one's required that's to come, right certainly. optional everyone listening right. it's optional yeah, but uh, but you you invite those who are will who who are open to uh to listening to the word and i would imagine there are some members of the football team that are christians that Correct. are saved and some are curious yeah i think so i think so and um i was saying last time you know we we're having better numbers and i think that's just i've been there a year and so they've continued to see me and i've built relationships and so just thankful for an opportunity i think it comes on a sunday we've been practicing on sundays because the pit game mm -hmm. is a thursday and so trying to have a normal you know preparation for that game we're gonna have a lot of thursday games this year Yeah, three of them so i think the sunday afternoon chapel it, it's kind of a break between you know practice and all the meetings that they have to attend, and I think they can just kind of come in and just be refreshed for a few minutes in, that's, in God's you know, Word. That's one thing that maybe people don't realize about these athletes, that they've grown up, for good or bad, you know, it used to be when we were kids, <laughs> back in the 70s and in the 80s, nothing happened on Sunday. Right. Nothing right. happened on Sunday. Target was closed on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. uh, the grocery stores, the hardware stores, everything was closed. You went, you know... Either that was a day of rest for some people. If you were so inclined, you went to church. There were a few restaurants that were open for breakfast and for brunch, but that was it. Now this generation of athlete has grown up playing seven days a week. Yeah. So yeah. they're not in the habit of going to church. And when they get to college, they compete on Sundays. There's soccer games on Sundays. Right. As you mentioned, there's football practice on Sundays. So what you provide is very significant to those who – want to go to church and hear the word but just simply can't yeah yeah being able to take take the word to them is is quite an honor all right so the message during august preseason camp you've been going through the lord's prayer yes sir and so we'll pick up where we left off last time so good morning to you again if you have a bible you can turn to matthew chapter 6 as we are going to look at the lord's prayer which is um you'll be turning to a very familiar passage of scripture one that most of us, if not all of us, know by heart and can quote from memory. Probably not because we sat down with our Bibles to memorize it, but because we 
grew up in churches where it was recited on a regular basis, if not weekly. I just wonder how many listening today were ever a part of a church where the Lord's Prayer was said every Sunday. Well, I was not. I knew of the Lord's Prayer just by reading from the Gospel of Matthew, and I'd heard a sermon or two on it, but I did not have it memorized. And so when I was in college, I didn't have a car the first two years, and there was a United Methodist Church on our campus. We were a United Methodist school. And um, so I went to church one morning because I could walk there, and there were a lot of firsts that happened that morning. Number one, I was the, the only one to bring my Bible along. I didn't know about pew Bibles, and so uh, people were looking at me strangely as I carried my Bible with me. Um, it was also the first time I ever saw an order of service printed in the bulletin, and it was the first time I'd ever recited the Lord's Prayer corporately. Uh, I remember in the bulletin it had instructions for the Lord's Prayer there in the order of service where it said, debtors, not trespasses. And I struggled through it and the doxology. I guess we Baptists were just not very spiritual. The Lord's Prayer is most likely repeated by Christians more than any other prayer, perhaps at bedtime. Um, hear this prayer. We hear this prayer at a worship service, at a wedding, at a funeral. We pray it in the locker room before an athletic contest. I did that with Navy basketball, and I do it with WVU football. 57 words in the original Greek, 73 in the English. A lot of ink has been used to give insight into this prayer. Entire books written on the Lord's Prayer alone, one of them from a man named Thomas Watson, a Puritan, a lengthy book on the Lord's Prayer that is available for free online. And so as we come to this study, and as I was studying this passage this week, I struggled to know how much time to really devote to this passage. I wanted to be thorough, <clears throat> but not redundant, to be able to explain the text and give you insight and explanation as to what you have been praying over the years, if you've been praying the Lord's Prayer, and answer questions like, what is the purpose of the Lord's Prayer? What can I learn about God in this prayer? Is this a prayer that should be repeated over and over? And if so, how often? So these are questions we would like to answer over the next two weeks. We want to look at the content of this great prayer, the components of this prayer, and may the Lord grant us his perfect wisdom from above as we turn to this great prayer. And so Matthew 6, verses 9 to 13, let me read. Jesus said, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So he begins in verse 9 by saying, pray then in this way. The New King James reads, pray in this manner, the NIV, this then is how you should pray. And so we see that this is a manner of prayer. It's the way you should pray, how you should pray. It's a model prayer. Jesus does not say, this is what you are to pray, but how you are to pray. There's nothing wrong with repeating this in a worship service. 
It is not, however, intended to be repeated over and over with nothing else ever prayed. We know from the previous verses and instruction here in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you, pray in secret to the Father, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. He certainly doesn't want us to go into the storeroom or the inner room, close the door, pray 73 words, and then come right out. This is a model prayer. Jesus has told us how not to pray. He says, don't be like the hypocrites who pray in order to be seen by men, that they may have recognition, applause, and approval. Don't be like the Gentiles, he says. Do not use meaningless repetition just to be heard. Jesus now instructs us on proper prayer, prayer that is pleasing to him, prayer that is for his glory and not for the glory of man. And this is what is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. I think it would be better, and and many have said this before me, it would be better to call this the Disciples' Prayer because Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. In John 17, we have really what is the Lord's Prayer, the Lord Jesus Christ, as Jesus is in the garden before his arrest. And there Jesus prays a prayer that only he could pray as he is about to go to the cross. Today and next Lord's Day, we want to look at five components of the disciples' prayer so that you and I would, be, would better know how to pray. Five components of the disciples' prayer or the Lord's prayer so that you and I would, be, would better know how to pray. And we're going to look at three of those today. Number one, let's look at the recipient the recipient. Verse 9, our Father. There are no singular pronouns found in verses 9 to 13. A little fun fact for you. These are all plural pronouns, and Jesus begins with the words, our Father. Warren Wearsby, a great Bible commentator, says, when we pray, we must remember that we are part of God's worldwide family of believers. We have no right to ask for ourselves anything that would harm another member of the family. If we are praying in the will of God, the answer will be a blessing to all of God's people in one way or another. That is a very good perspective from Dr. Wearsby. What a great privilege. You and I can come before God, the Father himself, God and very God, the everlasting Father, the God who was, the God who is, and the one who is to come the God who has always been, and the God who will always be. We come to the Father, our Daddy, our Papa, who loves us with an everlasting love, who is intimately acquainted with all of our ways, who knows us better than we know ourselves, and as we learned last week, knows what we need before we even ask Him. What a great thought and what a great comfort. The Father asks us to come to Him, directly. He calls on us to ask, and it will be given. He tells us to seek, and we will find, and to knock, and it will be open to you. Jesus says, for everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Down in Matthew 7, verses 9 to 11, still here in the Sermon on the Mount, 
Jesus says, or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? Listen to this. Verse 11, Jesus says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? We ask of the Father who gives good gifts to his children, from whom comes every good and perfect gift, coming down from the the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow, James 1.17. We can pray directly to the Father for all things. I believe some people waste their time praying through intermediaries, praying through the saints, Jesus begins by praying, Our Father. And Jesus here is the model prayer. We call ourselves Christians or little Christ. We are striving to be like Jesus Christ. I believe we ought to pray like Jesus Christ. When Jesus was in the garden, the night that he would be arrested, he prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. On the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. That was a prayer for his executioners. In his death, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus used the title Father in all of his prayers, except when he is on the cross and cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And just a reminder today that we have access to God the Father. And if that is true, why would I want to pray to anyone else? Friends, you and I can come into the throne room of God and come boldly to the throne of grace. This is a privilege that only followers of Jesus can enjoy. An unbeliever does not have access to the Father. I read Isaiah 59, verse 1 last week. Let me read verse 2 this week as well. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Unbelievers may pray to God. They may petition the Father They may have done so or are doing so today in churches all over America. Unbelievers are reciting this prayer. They know this prayer by heart, but they do not know the one who gave us this prayer. God cannot hear nor receive their prayers because of their sin. And it's true of you this morning. If you have never repented or turned from your sin and trusted Jesus Christ alone through faith alone, Not only can God not hear your prayers if you do not know Christ, but God is not your father. In John chapter 8, Jesus had a conversation with some Jews, some devout Jews, some religious Jews, but those who were trusting in their lineage, in their ancestry to get them to heaven. You see, they had gone to Ancestry.com, and they had found out that they were direct descendants of Abraham. We have Abraham as our father, they say. We are Abraham's descendants. 
But Jesus corrected them and said, no, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. And that's true of anyone today who is outside of a relationship with Christ. That is who you are before you know Jesus. You are a child of the devil, and God is not your father. But you might object and say, but Kirby, aren't we all God's children? I think that's what the world would want us to believe. It is true that we were all created in the image of God, but we are only his children through faith in Christ. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, But as many as received him, being Christ, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. The right to become children of God, the authority to be called his children, the privilege to call him Father, only for those who receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Jesus commands us to pray. Verse 9 is an imperative here. We are to pray to the Father, and he is the recipient of our prayers. Number two, let's look at the residence. The residence. Verse, five, verse 9, our Father who is in heaven. Our prayers are to the Father, and the Father resides in heaven. He always has, and he always will. Scripture obviously confirms this. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Daniel 4.35, King Nebuchadnezzar says this, All the inhabitants of earth are, rec- are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. Matthew 5.16 Here on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. In Acts chapter 7, we read about a man named Stephen who was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And we read that he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Heaven, it's the place where God dwells. It is the residence of the Father. And so you may be wondering or asking, where is heaven? Like, (laughs) how do I get there? Well, we know that it is up from Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, just before Jesus uh, goes back to heaven after his resurrection. And while they, the disciples, looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Heaven is up. It's in another dimension. You can't get there by plane. Southwest has no flights to heaven. It cannot be reached by a rocket or by SpaceX, sorry about that, Mr. Musk, and it cannot be orbited by a satellite. Man cannot get there today before their death. There are only two exceptions, uh, Enoch and Elijah. You can read about them in the Old Testament. Man cannot reach heaven. No one will ever get there on their own, but our prayers 
can get to heaven. God is a loving Father who desires to give good gifts to his children, and he has. You and I can join the Apostle Paul in thanksgiving and say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians 1.3. So the recipient here is the Father, and the Father's residence is found in heaven. Now let's look at the third component of the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer, and that is the reverence. The reverence. He says, pray then like this, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is from the Greek verb agiazo. It means to set apart, to make holy. This is a command. We are to set apart his name as holy. We are to regard his name as holy. Hallowed be your name. Have we ever thought about what this means when we pray this? To hallow God's name is to hold it in reverence and to hold him in reverence. Because as Craig Blomberg says in his commentary on Matthew, name refers to one's person, character, and authority. All that God stands for should be treated as holy and honored because of his utter perfection and goodness. And so to hallow God's name means to honor him, to glorify him, to exalt him. And this is what we were created to do. I don't know if any of our listeners grew up Presbyterian, but if you know of that document known as the Westminster Confession, one of the questions, I think it's in the the shorter catechism, What is the chief end of man? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We as God's people are commanded to be holy. God is acknowledged as one who is holy. It is the essence of his being. Exodus 15.11 says, Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness awesome in praises, working wonders. There is no one holy like the Lord, and it's what separates him from any other created thing. If you think about Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, when he goes into the temple after King Uzziah died, and he sees the Lord seated on his throne, highly exalted, and the cherubim are and seraphim are flying around him, and they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. That is the essence of who God is. God is holy. God is separate from sinners. God is separate from his creation. And so this is the meaning of praying, Hallowed be your name. To attribute to God the holiness that already is, and always has been supremely and uniquely his. John MacArthur says to hallow God's name is to revere, honor, glorify, and obey him as singularly perfect. There is no one else worthy of honor. There is no one else worthy of complete and full obedience. 
for there is no one holy like the Lord. We cannot compare God to anyone or anything because there is nothing like him. I heard a professor say one time, wouldn't it be interesting to give a, a question on a test for like a religion, a religion quiz or a test that said, define God and give two examples? Well, we can't do that. There is nothing that can be compared to God and his holy character. John Calvin, the great reformer, commenting on this portion of the disciples' prayer says, to sanctify the name of God means nothing else than to give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name, so that men may never think or speak of him, but with the deepest veneration. Another place in Scripture where this word is used and used of God is found in 1 Peter 3.15, where Peter there says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you, to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Peter said, set Christ apart in your hearts. Set him apart from any other thing. Give God the place in your heart that he deserves. God deserves first place, that he would be be above all things. In other words, we should pray this, my father, and make that personal, My Father who is in heaven, my first and greatest desire is that in everything you might have preeminence or first place. And when we sanctify him in our hearts and when we hallow him in our prayers, he will be glorified in our lives. God is holy, and we are to treat him as holy. God is set apart from creation, and so he is to be set apart in our hearts and in our lives. Because he is holy and set apart, we are to be holy and set apart. We are to be holy and set apart from the world and unto God. And again, this is not an option or a suggestion. This is a mandate and a command from a holy God. So benefits and hallowing the name of God here as we do in this prayer, when we do so, God is glorified, God is pleased, and we are sanctified. When we do this, we grow in Christ, and we are conformed to the image of Christ, and we don't remain where we are. Jesus here commands us to pray. He doesn't leave us to ourselves. He instructs us on how to pray, and he gives us here a model prayer. It begins with the recipient, who is the Father, our Father. And we have access to the Father through Christ alone. The residence, God is in heaven. It's the place where God dwells. And finally, the reverence. We come to a holy God who calls on us to be holy. Next week, Lord willing, we will look at the requests of the disciple as he prays. Let me pray as we close our time. Father, thank you for the Lord's Prayer, also known or better known as the Disciples' Prayer, Lord, as you are teaching your disciples how to pray. And Lord, we thank you that we can come to you, that you are the recipient of our prayers. We can come to you and call you Father, Daddy. We thank you, Lord, that you are in heaven and you do whatever you please. And Lord, although a rocket or a space shuttle cannot get to heaven, Lord, our prayers can get there through the person of Jesus Christ. And Lord, may we always give you the reverence you deserve. You are holy 
There is no one like you. And we were unholy, we were unclean, and you have made us clean through the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. And you've been listening to WVUFCA Campus Director Kirby Myers, a message delivered to members of the WV football team during fall camp this August and uh, going through the Lord's Prayer more than word by word. I mean, you're going concept by concept. Trying, trying to go deep. <laughs> going deep. All right. Again, you can uh, learn more about the FCA. Go to FCA. Dot org and uh, contribute financially if, if that's what you're led to do as well. And we invite you back next week as uh, part three of this continued series on the Lord's Prayer. You've been listening to the WVU FCA on this Sunday morning, 104.5 FM, 1440 AM, WAJO.